Hello and welcome. We are Tools in the Shed, powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm James, and with me are Tom, who's been travelling the wilds of Korea's car culture. I have, hello. As well as Matt, who's fired up about the latest electric car news, or is he? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll check in with our favourite Martian in this week's Muskwatch. So stay with us. But, Tom... Your first time in Korea. Uh, what were the highlights? What were the lowlights? What was your mission? Yeah, well, we were over there to uh, do a bit of a... See what we could find out about Korean car culture, because uh, I think a lot of the thing is everybody knows about Japanese car culture, at least something. There's a huge cult following for JDM. Everybody knows that. Everybody everybody knows the famous models. Everybody, Every, every car has a cult following of huge amounts of people. Um, but while Korea is manufacturing so many cars for the world... Uh, not much is known about their sort of domestic culture there. So we went to have a look and investigate, and we did a bunch of things. We went to uh, Hyundai's motor studio in Goyang, which is sort of like sort of like Questacon, but for cars. That's a really good summation of that place. I've been there as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And they were saying it's like there's, they have huge amounts of school groups go through there. Yeah. How cool would that be? It's yeah. It's cool and question. Do they have little paddle pools where you can fill car parts in the shallow water? And... They kind of do. They kind of do. They've got so they've got uh, up the front. They've got this manufacturing area which sort of teaches you all about their Ulsan plant and where, and they've got actual machines that do demos of putting car doors on and spraying things. And they're they're actual they're the actual same machines that are in the factory, complete with um, like serial numbers and everything. And there's areas where you can actually yeah, there's little little. Uh, bays full of raw elements that are actually used in the factory and you can pick them up and play with okay, them and stuff. Okay, great. So, yeah. um, that, that was very cool. Um, and then uh, the other things we did, we went and we had a look at a local tuning garage. So uh, it turns out the guy that uh, invited us in, he was he was actually quite famous. I didn't know when I first got there, but apparently in Korean tuning car culture, if you utter his name, you know, you get approving nods from right. um, street races and all sorts of stuff. Did it, so, did it get you into nightclubs? <laughs> I'm sure it could have. Yeah, I'm sure it could have. Um, he, he, yeah, he was great. Um, he took us for a drive in one of the cars he he tuned, which was a, a Kia Forte, which I think we knew it was. It's the two door version, which I think we knew here as a Kia Coupe. Oh, yes, right. Serato um, Coupe. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he'd tweaked that up to 300 kilowatts or something ridiculous, um, which was pretty wild. Sure. So that engine had a long lifespan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, and that was very interesting because uh, we weren't even sure that that kind of culture existed there um, for you know street tuning. Or, in or... fact, you were theorising that it may not have been legal. You know, let alone was there an appetite for it, but yeah. you just may not have been able to do it. Mm. But yeah, obviously, you can. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that was part of the thing. Like, we weren't sure how uh, legal modifications were. We weren't sure how persecuted you know people with street tuned cars would be, like they are in Australia. So uh, he was actually telling us that. In Korea, the the police there aren't actually allowed to look under your bonnet or in your boot or anything without a warrant. Yeah, right. Um, so it's a bit different from here, where the police can sort of pull you over and just sort of pull your car apart, and there's nothing you can do about it. Yep. Um, yeah, it was very very different sort of attitude. And they said while there's speed cameras, sort of kind of regularly, they're very well signposted, and yeah. the police don't often measure for speed. Yeah. So yeah. that was quite interesting to learn. And they I do, read your story, even if you do get stung, it's 100 bucks. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like 100 bucks or something. Yeah. They do kind of turn a blind eye to, to speed yeah. in Korea. I've noticed that before, having driven there a few times. And also, yeah, the um, some of the sat-nav systems are so smart that they can slow down for a speed camera 
So, yeah. you know, you've got it set at 140. It'll slow to 100 at the point <laughs> that the speed camera is and then speed back up. Everybody's yeah. happy. Yeah, without you having to do anything. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> magic. That, that was really popular. And it's the same with the, the cab drivers there, actually. They, the way their metering works is different from the way it works here. Mm-hmm. Here's a combination of speed and time. For them, it's just speed. So yeah. um, what they'll do is in the 60 zone, they're just quite happy to fly at 100. Yeah. Um, okay. So they just go on the outside lane. Because there's money they, in it. Yeah, they yeah. just fly past everyone. So uh, the more efficient their trips are, the more money they make is the way it was explained to me. Right. So wow. uh, the cabs there are all uh, their Sonatas or Grandeurs, and then you, you have like top model kind of executive cabs, uh, yep. Kia Epirus, which is like this Epirus. big retro-style V6 front-wheel drive thing. Sounds which is like a liqueur. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and also, people are very keen on the cleanliness. They, they uh, gather together to do the uh, communal yes. tubbing of their cars. <laughs> so we were invited to one of the... Um, it's, it's a newer chain, but these are everywhere. So this kind of caught us off guard because when I was asking my contacts over there, I said, you know, what, what kind of things do um, people in Korean car culture get into? What's kind of a regular activity, uh, whether it's like meet, meetups or whatever? They, they All of them said car wash they all do car wash so they after work you drive to a car wash and you spend a while washing your car and it it's like a social thing like friends will go there they'll meet up together they'll bring their cars and they're like fastidious about it like mm-hmm. when we were there we went to one of the one of the biggest ones in seoul which had something like 17 bays um and it's like this it took up like half a city block it was a massive wow. kind of area and what's the background soundtrack it's got to be car wash right <laughs> well i think it's it's playing no they they play all sorts of different stuff like we had some western music they're playing like k-pop yeah. they're playing all, all oh, kinds great. of stuff cool and um yeah you have these bays and you get like a kind of like kind of like an opal card you preload it with some cash and then you swipe it onto the bay and it gives you you start with 5 minutes and that costs 5 bucks or something and then uh you get this pressure hose like a gurney and you get another hose which has like a patented formula for right. um and it's very gotcha. satisfying it's all very satisfying and fun to do cool and uh yeah it's hugely popular so, so then after doing the washing bit Everyone just kind of clumps together and starts banging on about their cars. and yeah. yeah, they've got like the wash bays, but then opposite the wash bays, there's like a detailing area, and that's where everyone kind of hangs out, and they kind of hang out, yeah. and they detail their cars together, and um, it was all very kind of communal. And-, and this is largely, you were saying, because a lot of people live in high-rise, and there's physically nowhere for them to wash their car, so they're drawn towards these places anyway. Yes, yeah. Um, it was actually interesting when we were inquiring about why they were so popular, our contact was telling us not only is there nowhere to wash your car in a high-rise apartment block, but it's actually illegal because they don't have drainage in the right. car, car uh, the spots under the buildings, So, which was really interesting. That's and weird. he said it was a big problem there a few years ago that no one had planned to put drainage in these under like subterranean car parks because a few years ago they had like a... Like a typhoon happened, and a lot of cars got destroyed because all the yeah, subterranean areas wow. filled up with water. So, and um, you rounded it out by heading to a motor race meeting at a pretty special venue. Yeah, so we went to the Injay Speedium, which is about. 200 k's out uh, outside of Seoul to the east, which I actually thought was in South Central LA. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, and we went there for a race series called the Super Race, and uh, it's made up of several different classes. The primary one is the Cadillac 6000, which is at every event. So those are 
uh, LS-derived V8s. Uh, they have about 100 kilowatts less than a uh, V8 supercar, and they're a bit smaller as well because they, they, you look at the pictures and they look huge. They look really menacing, and they got all these flares coming out of them. And the the Koreans, they they love to do foil wraps, so they're all exotic right. foil wrapped colours. And what did you make of the kind of standard of the racing, the racecraft, and just the way the cars were behaving on the track? Did it look like it was top-notch stuff, or how, how did it leave you? Yeah, it was. It was reasonably world class like the circuit okay. was really top tidy yeah. the circuit was top notch uh, the racing seemed to be like quite good quality it was quite intense yeah. we saw we did see some crashes one of them went straight into the barrier on the last corner which was pretty uh, wow yeah it was pretty exciting and, and what's the in terms of is it a small medium large circuit is it really lengthy or pocket sized what's the scale yeah, of it so it's a small circuit i do have the length okay. of it just give me one second so it is only Three and about that. Yeah, right. three. There you go. Three point nine kilometers long. So it's pretty short. Eh, I don't know. That's that's a reasonable kind of. Mm. Dis- it's uh, pretty dis- technical though. It's got nineteen turns packed okay. into that. I've I've driven that track. Have you? With right. uh, on a Genesis launch, and it is, well, it's up there with the most challenging tracks I've driven on because there's a lot of elevation change. There's a lot of tricky corners where you have to slow down much more than you would usually want to, and that really limits how quick you can be. So you've got to be patient. Yeah, 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 you've got to be really patient. You've got to watch your speed going through the corners. And then when you get to the straights is when you've really got to hammer it and try and make, make up loss. Yeah, seconds, make yeah. up your time. Yeah, so. wonderful. Great. So high light and low light, what do you reckon, Tom? What was the standout that when you think of that trip, what what's top of mind? Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> um, I reckon the highlight was uh, definitely the two events we got to where the locals let us in. So that Great. was the – we went Great. to a, a – a car meet, which there's this club, they're a massive club, they have their own facilities. That was amazing to see. And the fact that the people just let us in and let us sort of walk around and talk to everyone and just take photos and just really get involved in their culture, that was really cool. And the tuning garage as well, it was so unexpected because you can plan for the events, but we didn't expect to be let into that garage and let be let into the sort of more intimate details of right. their culture, which was, that's what we went there for. Um, we weren't sure if we would get that out of it, and we did. So. It kind of speaks to the Korean culture, I think. They are very open and generous. You know, like you sometimes if you go on a, an international launch with a car company go with a japanese company it's very sterile and very managed in terms of the amount of time you're allowed and where you can get access to where if you go with a korean company they they seem to be a lot more relaxed and more open mm. and more willing to sort of invite you in i've had that experience myself with both hyundai kia and sangyong in yeah. korea they're really sort really of cool. all right come on let's let's have a look let's nice. walk through it and talk through it so yeah, yeah it's it's great yeah yeah very, very much that and, and even with hyundai the hyundai part of the trip where we went to goyang they were very willing to let us take extra time and yeah. shoot wherever we needed to Super. and excellent yeah. he no, didn't I- say a low light though Low light. Low light was well. We were going to go to a festival uh, in in Daegu, which is about three hundred kilometers south of Seoul. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's actually the third biggest, third biggest, fourth biggest. Anyway, it's one of the biggest cities in in Korea that maybe isn't that well known outside of the peninsula. But uh, we were going to go to this big festival there, and it was a car culture festival. So it, they were going oh. to they, they block out this whole street, yes. and it's all booths and tuned cars and whatnot. But which, na- nature got in the way. Yeah, there was a typhoon weather system moving around Asia at that time, and they cancelled the festival on the dates that we were there, uh, uh. and we only found out literally the day before we were supposed to go. So that yeah. was 
bit of a spanner in the works. Yeah. yeah. Could have been worse. You could have got there and been rained out. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. So but you've got um, at least half a dozen stories that, yeah, that fills in some of the details on all of those things um, on Oversteer, so people should uh, go and have a look, yeah? Yeah, uh, so there's about seven stories, and they're all linked together. You can follow the entire series down the bottom of each story, and they're on carsguide.com.au slash Oversteer. Great. Well, nice. talking of open and welcoming, it's time for a word from our sponsor. Two words from Winton to the 2018 competition. You lose. More thunder this year from the Aussie legend that's taken the performance world by storm. It's a piece of street art honed in a tough neighbourhood. Bathurst. Aero efficiency holds the Winton turbo down, but nothing holds it back. Talk of the devil, the upgraded Redback two-stroke V9 turbo now howls with even more power and is backed up by an even smoother evolution of Winton's own torque tumbler transmission. There's a Winton for every purpose except standing still, and you deserve a car this good. The 2018 Winton Turbo. One look says a lot, one drive says it all. Information not based on facts. Allow six to eight months for delivery. Not intended for highway use. Store in a cool, dry place. Actual results may vary. Do not use if seal is broken. Dry clean only. Keep frozen until ready to use. Remember to dial before you dig. Okay, well, that begs the question. You know, Winton, what a brand and what a guy. Frost, what a man. Frosty Chops, what a man. Uh, he, as we mentioned last week, he's been involved for, with the Invictus Games from day one. That's in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, Prince Harry was kind of bouncing ideas off Frosty for where to go with this this whole thing. Um, it's it's obviously a massive success. It's been on in Sydney the uh, the preceding week. Um, Frosty's involved in a voluntary capacity, um, and you've probably seen Cobber, uh, the mascot yeah. uh, for the Invictus Games. He's a, a blue healer. Uh, well, there was a serious dehydration issue with the person in the suit, and ever the trooper and team player, uh, Frosty quite literally stepped in, and so. Oh. The closing ceremony tomorrow, uh, Saturday, uh, hopefully you can hang in there. But just when you see Cobber, think of Frosty. He's <laughs> he's inside there. He's doing his bit for the Invictus Games. He's generous with his time, isn't he? He is. I suppose it's easy when, you know, Wintons, they just sell themselves. They do. Yeah. So he, he's on cruise and collect mode these days. So he's able <laughs> yeah. to do this philanthropic kind of stuff. Uh, we know a few PRs like that, don't <laughs> we? <laughs> so, Matt, moving on. Electric cars. Yes. A uh, regular topic of conversation. They are, yeah. This one hasn't been. Fill us in on the news on the latest. So, Dyson, right? My mum wants a Dyson vacuum cleaner. Okay. She's wanted one for ages, right? Vacuum yep. cleaners are what Dyson does. They also do hair dryers and air conditioners and hand dryers in the toilets. Uh, and blade fan l- you can stick your hand through. Yeah, bladeless fan. Circular yeah. jobby. All, yep. all that sort of stuff. But now they're going to do electric vehicles. Yes. Okay, so I, I'm not calling it an electric car because as far as I can tell, Dyson hasn't called it an electric car. Um, They've referred to it constantly as an electric vehicle and their plans for an electric vehicle. Um, In all likelihood, it's going to be a car. But the interesting thing that they've announced this week is that they're going to build them in Singapore. Singapore, yeah. Rather than Thailand or China or India where you might think that the costs are going to be lower and and therefore the benefit to the consumer will be maybe a little bit more measurable. Um, They've gone for Singapore, which has been out of 
the, the world rankings It'd in terms of manufacturing. It'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall, wouldn't you? You never know the kinds of incentives that are offered, you know, by mm. uh, yeah. various governments to come and settle here. It's it's worthy investment. It'll create jobs. It'll do whatever it'll do. I was reading a rather interesting article that kind of analysed this uh, on Channel News Asia, um, but they went into detail on, so it's... The last automotive factory that was in Singapore was a Ford factory, and that closed 40 years ago, yeah. which is a long time ago. But they were saying right. that um, there's high costs there, so it will cost – like there's high weight, there's high, relatively high wages for Asia. Um, but they say the government is now offering generous incentives to start production of things yeah, there. there you go. Um, yep. They also said one of the most interesting things is it will give them easy access to the Chinese market – um, but there's no domestic market there, even for electric cars. They were saying something like, "There's less; they sell less than 100 electric cars in Singapore." In Singapore, mm-hmm. because in cars year. are taxed to the point yes. where they're poisonously yeah. expensive yes. in Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not a domestic thing. It's got to be geographic. Like that's that's a good spot. Yeah. And maybe there is a, a strategic reason for it not being in China or not being in India, you know, for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, well, this article did point out uh, just one more interesting thing, which was that uh, the intellectual property protection, unlike China, is uh, really strong in Singapore. So that might have been one of the prevailing reasons is if they, yeah. you know, came up with an interesting style or an interesting design, it wouldn't just immediately be ripped off. Yes, yeah. fair yeah. enough. And, and, and Matt... Further to your point about, you know, will it be a car? Mm. Um, a lot of the press photography that James Dyson, uh, the company founder, has been involved with, has him in a cutaway mini, exactly. original mini. Yeah. So he's positioning himself very much as an Isagonis. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. going to revolutionise things. Yeah. Um, clear signal, isn't it? It is. I mean, and it could be a really interesting um, hint towards what they're looking at with this new electric vehicle because. Maybe it's going to be very small, and so many electric car makers are, you know, focusing on bigger, more family-friendly SUVs and bigger cars because it's easier to package a lot more tech into a bigger package than it is into a really small one. But as you say, the the Mini was seen as a revolutionary moment in time because it managed to package family space into a tiny footprint. Maybe this is going to be that again, but in a different context, yeah. I guess. And there's something that just intuitively makes sense about a small electric car. Yeah. You know, you're reducing the weight. Um, you're probably optimising its capacity in terms of range. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're soon going to be driving the Renault Zoe. Mm-hmm. And and the office was kind of buzzing about that yeah. because it's just a lot of fun. The little i3, I've said ad nauseum, I find that car huge fun. Exactly. Um, it's a little pricier, but just a small electric car is so quick. Um, and so light. Let's see what uh, Dyson can come up with. Yeah, um, I think it's worth pointing out that that's Dyson's mo as well. Like, yeah, you know, I, I've got a Dyson vacuum cleaner at home because it it's about one third the weight and size of the yeah, last vacuum cleaner. Very, I had, very so good point. Yeah. Very good point. And it's so that like, I've got one as well. They're very usable. They're very good at what they do. You know, things that appeal to me like V six and V eight and V ten. <laughs> they and digital motor. <laughs> that all, all makes that. me happy. Right, so for uh, delivery of Dyson products to the podcast, we'll leave leave the address in the show notes. Yeah, we'll let you know. But my question to you guys is, do we need another dedicated electric car brand? We've seen what's happened with Tesla. Yeah. And they've obviously moved the game on. And the game is increasingly becoming more and more competitive by the existing established car manufacturers. Do we need someone like Dyson to come in? I reckon it's difficult to answer that question until you know what's coming down the pipeline. Yeah. Like, you know, if you just say generically it's another electric car, but to your point, Matt, what is it? It Mm. could be something quite revolutionary that offers um, a guide 
for other brands and just changes, shifts the whole market. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'd say, yeah, um, bring it in, bring yeah, it okay. on. I'm, yeah. I'm really keen to see what they do. Yeah, interesting. I, I, I'm all for that, uh, like, market disruption kind of, like, mindset of just coming in and not starting with any sort of basis, not starting with saying, okay, we're going to build this car, but an electric version. We're going to yeah. do something completely different. That's yeah. what Tesla did, I think. You know, say what it, what you will about Tesla. They definitely changed the market to yeah. say this is what we maybe should be doing. And I, well, from my perspective, because I, I sort of understand where you're coming from, I, they they don't have anything that we've seen from them before in terms of automotive. They do have this really strong design ethos, and I think that that's going to immediately like you talk to someone who owns a Dyson. People talk about it like. When would you have heard anyone talk about their Electrolux vacuum cleaner, yeah. right? Because you know that it's it's a fantastic product, it's designed well, yeah. and it's actually pretty to look at. Like Mate, I, we we had a Hoover when I was a kid mm-hmm. that was spherical, and the vacuum process created like a hovercraft effect underneath. Oh. Didn't have wheels, mm-hmm. and it just sort of oh, that's pretty around cool. the floor. That got me talking. Oh, oh that, yeah, that, that's the thing though. Like like. Vacuum cleaners, maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago, they were like one of those kind of products that everybody kind of needed and they were interesting and they had design sure. behind sure, them. Sure, sure. And they were like, you know, that kind of, they were that whole kind of thing. Same with fridges. You see, fridges, design of fridges in the 1950s and 60s looked amazing. Yeah. But now they're just like slabs of wire. But I think yeah. if you're a James Dyson and you're saying, okay, we're going to make a car, you look at the world's um, production of car, we're saturated with cars. Yeah. There's a lot of overproduction. So, to be able to be successful in that context, you can't go with the the school of fish. You've you've got to get mm. zig while yeah. everyone else is zagging. So yeah. he's completely a zag while everyone's zigging kind of guy. Yeah, um, you'd have to expect that it'll be something that no one's seen before. Um, he doesn't want to be like anybody else and create demand that way. Mm. Oh, well, it's, oh, it sounds like we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens. Agree. I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Always welcome something new. Now. Which puts us in the shed. What's in our garage? Yes. Um, what we've been driving recently. So, Matt, first up, mm-hmm. an Isuzu yes. of the MUX variety. Yes. So, if you aren't aware, the MUX is a seven-seat SUV based on the D-Max ute, uh, the D-Max dual-cab ute, that is. So, it's got uh, seven seats as standard across the range. There's three different models you can choose from. You can get rear-wheel drive or four-wheel drive depending on which model you choose. There's only one version with a manual gearbox now. It used to be a lot more, um, but obviously the market looks towards automatic for a good reason. The automatic's probably a lot more enjoyable and livable than the manual would be. And generally, I was, I've come away from my experience with the MUX going, yeah, I can sort of see why so many people buy them. Now, I went into it thinking, all right, I want to have a look at the sales of it versus the competitors, the ones that we see as the better examples of the ute-based SUV, right? Yep. So Ford Everest is probably the benchmark in terms of uh, refinement, comfort, um, and safety stuff um, alongside the Pajero Sport. But the Everest is at about half as many sales as the MUX uh, okay. because it's more expensive, mainly. Yep. Yep. Um, but obviously that's that's a barrier for people there. Then you look at how many the uh, Holden Trailblazer and Pajero Sport, if you combine them, that's about the same as the MUX's sales. Mm. So, obviously, A, Isuzu's marketing team are doing a really, really good job yeah. of getting people to understand what this vehicle's all about. 
B, they're doing really, really good job in the dealers to get people through the door and can convert it into a sale based on really strong drive-away pricing and good ownership prospects. There's something about it. For me, instinctively, Isuzu as a brand just says the pragmatist's yeah. choice, you know, yeah. mm. that you're not wanting to be flashy, but you're wanting something that's super dependable and is going to meet your, you know, that, that often used phrase, going to meet my needs. It's yeah. just what I want without any extraneous stuff. Yep. In, in that regard, I sort of see it, I, in a way, Isuzu has kind of got a bit of a similarity with Honda uh-huh. in, in, in some odd way. It's okay. like the thing, not necessarily enjoyable, not necessarily the benchmark, but yep. geez, it does a lot of things well. I think they're the same in that they have the same number of letters in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, There's both, that. They're both from Japan as well. Yeah, they're both from Japan. There's yeah. lots of similarities. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, one thing that strikes me about it is how sort of relatively simple they are. There's no overly elegant bodywork like you can see on something like the uh, Everest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd feel bad if I took an Everest off-road and dented it, whereas an Isuzu MUX, yeah. it's kind of asking for it. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It kind of, it'll look better with a few dance maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. So Tom, yeah. your your wheels um, of the week. What have what have you been steering? Yeah, so uh, I've been behind the wheel of a Volkswagen Polo Beats. So that's a Beats by Dr. Dre special edition brand mashup. That's yeah. to appeal to the youth. To appeal to the When you yeah. open the door do you get a what 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 what, what? <laughs> Yeah, actually well, here's the thing that surprised me maybe the most about it is yeah. how subtle it is from the outside. So you see a pair of Beats headphones and you can spot them from a mile away. They're always bright colours. They have the overt logo on the side, you know, completely unmissable. They in themselves are a marketing beacon. But then you look at the Polo Beats and it has a little red and like a pale white kind of pinstripe down the top of the car. Mm -hmm. Could be anything. It doesn't really shout Beats. And then there's a little Beats button logo on the B-pillar and that's it. Those are the only identifying Beats characteristics from the outside. So So subtle branding. Yeah, really subtle branding. What about inside? The inside's a bit full on. So (laughs) it's got this kind of like cherries and cream kind of colour scheme where there's like... And that pulses went to the the beat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, I was expecting that but it's not not so bad. So it has... The seats are are red, grey and then they have like white, off-white kind of leather trim bits down the sides right. and then there's this huge whoop, there's this huge bright red like dash insert okay and yeah. so it's a bit kind of getting a bit louder in there it's it's quite loud loud, yep. loud on the inside well that's kind of good isn't it because I think there's a lot of as we found with the small SUV comparison there's a lot of effort that goes into exterior design Kona for example you look at the interior you go uh, mm. boring it's, yeah. But that's kind of cool that they've gone, well, we're going to do it the other way around. Because yeah. that's where you spend all your time. And <laughs> yeah. that's where the sound system is, right? Yeah, well, yeah, That's yeah. the irony. You have this beautiful car, and when you're actually using it, you don't see it. Yeah. yeah. Everyone else does. Th- so there's a few more. Sense. There's a few more ironies to it as well. It's like inherently how quiet the Polo is. Like you drive it around, it's silent. You can't hear the engine. There's right. barely any noise coming in from the outside. and But then it's got this amazing sound system. Um which is actually pretty good. I like people sort of they like audio files kind of rag on yeah, Beats right, for sure, being too expensive and too bassy, maybe not having the right sound quality. Uh, but credit where credit's due, the sound system in the Polo was actually quite good. Yeah. Uh, the bass yeah. was excellent from the get go, and as you turn the volume up, a lot of car sound systems can get tinny or too trebly, or they can distort. None of that, super clear. Because also up. a smaller car is even more of a challenge from an yeah. audio point of view, because ideally, as I understand it. 
you need distance for a note to be able to express itself. Yeah. So the bigger the car, probably the better the the audio quality, mm-hmm. um, just as a fact, um, because otherwise it's bouncing off everything. Yeah. Cars are really bad. Well, it's very muted. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's interesting if they've managed that trick. So yeah. The, and the cool thing about it, right, so the, the Beats audio system doesn't just have to be in the Beats special edition. Ah, it was yeah. in the Polo GTI that I drove last week. Cool. And it's, it's you, part of a pack. You can get it in a pack. Yeah. yeah. So the pack is, uh, forget the amount that it is, but it's the the Beats costs the Beats costs three grand more than the eighty five TSI Comfort line that it's based on. Uh, you can get the pack, which is a thousand one hundred dollars less than that. So if you were to buy the yep. eighty five TSI, the packs whatever it is twenty nine hundred dollars. So um, that's not bad, and you get the amazing ten point two five inch color touchscreen, which is that's that, a large, that's a decent screen. It's huge for a car that size. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's worth considering whether you could deal with the cherry screen. Because that's the same interior. as in the premium golfs, I think. Yeah, that, that screen. Anyway, moving on. I'll very briefly, oh, I'll very briefly touch on your car. Uh, no, I'll, what? No, what I'll, about your car? I'll touch touch on um, the <laughs> Nissan Juke Nismo. Yes. Uh, and look, I, I quite like the rims. Then uh, <laughs> the the. The, you know that old uh, saying that says, look, the gear shifts, the manual car, love that. Save the manuals. I really want manual cars to kick around. But this one is like a ladle in a soup bowl. You know, oh, it's oh, just no. no definition in it. It's really not very nice to use. The other thing is the car sits high. Okay, it's an SUV. But all of a sudden you're dealing with torque steer, like quite pronounced torque steer. That hasn't been a thing for a couple of decades, really. Hmm. So put a bit of extra power through wheels and the body's up high and you get these forces of inertia that just causes the wheels to go light and you start to do a little walking around. It's hard to explore the car, really. Um, anyway, let's move on. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. We'll, we'll quickly talk about uh, Musquatch. Okay. So, Tesla has made a profit. Oh! Yay! Oh. The company reported its strongest ever quarter, and the share price has jumped 10%. Wall Street analysts are mixed in their response, and you'd expect that because mm-hmm. there's been a fairly um, dour history of not making a profit. So, here's one quarter profit. So, there's a spread of sell, hold, buy kind of recommendations from all the, the big analyst companies. So... Is it a new level or a flash in the pan? Time will tell. But the dear leader has also approved, as in, you know, a, a formal sign-off of the Model Y. So he's um, tweeted that it's happening. It's happening. Okay. SUV. <laughs> and looking forward to the pickup truck as well. So, you know, he's emboldened by all of this success and profitability. So it's full steam ahead or maximum watts ahead or, right. you know, whatever it is. So right. that's looking good. Um, as usual, pe- people are memeing the living daylights out of him. Uh, on Twitter, but a quip um, offering Bitcoin for sale caused Twitter to actually lock his account um, <laughs> recently because they thought he was being uh, hacked. So he wow. made a big play on that, that it was a false Elon Musk, of which there are many. Yeah, there are. Um, and I'd recommend that you follow bored Elon Musk on Twitter as well. Oh, he's, he's brilliant. He's pretty good. Uh, anyway, the Bloomberg Model 3 production tracker sits at 4419 right. this week. That's up 139 units, so the curve is going in the right way ever so gently. So that's up from 4,280 last week. That makes nine weeks, though, that's still under that 5,000 mark. Yeah. So the, the, the profit's there. 
that's great. That that profit may in fact have been from that kind of burst build section where they got a lot of Tesla Model 3s out the door. Yeah. So I think the next quarter will be the telling one. Yeah. And in terms of production, they're still under that that 5,000. So, you know, Elon's told us 6,000 by the end of the year. We're still waiting and we're getting towards the end of October. Mm. So it's mm. kind of closer. But uh, anyway, with that, I think we've reached the finish line. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. And thank you, Tom. Thanks. And thanks to our producer, Marsden. Marsden, stupidity is not a crime, so you are free to go. And thank (laughs) you for listening. Please give us your thoughts on anything we've discussed today. Search for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram and use the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. You can listen to and watch us on YouTube. And if you're an iTunes devotee, please rate and review us. I hope you can join us next week. Until then, Marco picks up his Fiat from his mechanic, Tony. Tony says, Marco, you've got to think about selling this car. It seems like it's been breaking down on you every other week. I love having you as a customer, but this car's costing you a fortune. Yeah, but look at it, Marco says. It's starting to rust. The tyres are almost bald again, and it's got like 200,000 kilometres on it. Nobody's going to give me any money for this, for a Fiat with 200,000 clicks on it. Tell you what I can do, Tony says. This is just between you and me, but I could roll back your odometer. That way you could at least get a few hundred bucks for it. Marco agrees and gives Tony 50 bucks to roll back the odometer. Two weeks later, Marco comes by and asks Tony to top off the oil and swap the plugs on the Fiat. Tony looks at the car and says, I thought you were going to cash this car in. What are you doing still driving it? Sell it, says Marco. You nuts. This car's only got 30,000 kilometres on it. (laughs) 